Well, good evening. Happy Independence Day weekend. Excited that you guys are here tonight. And uh, how are you guys doing? Good. Kind of quiet. Let me ask again. How are you guys doing? All right. So, like, I'm going to be, like, all the way up here. And then if you guys could just meet me, like, a quarter of the way, that would be great. But um, so we do this thing. Uh, it's become kind of like a tradition now at Revolution Church where we start off before I preach with shout outs. And so where I just, like, shout people out. So I, I want to shout out all of the RC kids who are holding it down on the worship team today, serving. I don't know if you noticed, but we had over here Miss Alexis Pinos who uh, uh, singing. We had uh, uh, David Marshall. We had Micah Marshall. We have Catherine Pinos up there in the tech booth. I'm just saying Revolution Church, our youth, they run this church partially, sort of, kind of, right? So, so that's awesome. That's pretty great. Uh, and so shout out to them. Shout out to Mr. Isaac Presley, uh, visiting us, thank you, uh, from Richmond. He's like, when we talk about camp, he's like, like a legend at camp. All of our little middle school kids, when they see him, they're last year's champion, right? Camp is pretty competitive. But, so when they see him, they're like, our middle schoolers, they're like, Isaac, you know? So, but anyway, all right, shout outs are out of the way. But um, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys tonight um, We've just started a new series called Hot Sign Your Soul, and uh, it's a series that Pastor Fred started last week, but he is uh, away on vacation with his family this week and next week, and so he's taken a little break from the pulpit actually this whole month, and uh, I'm excited to speak, although I feel like I got a little gypped because Pastor Fred had donuts last week. And so he was able to bribe you with hot Krispy Kreme donuts. He was able to, you know, he, every once in a while, if you guys got too quiet, he would say Krispy Kreme and y'all would have to respond. So I don't, unfortunately, have that tonight. But, um, but what I do have is a word from the Bible and from the Lord. So, yeah, there we go. There we go. So, so a couple of people are, are hungry for the Word of God tonight. A couple of people still bitter because there's not donuts, but it's all right. Um, well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and I forgot my clicker down there, but uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Thank you, beautiful wife. Shout out to my beautiful wife. Okay. Uh, so this series, uh, Hot Sign Your Soul, has kind of uh, found its foundation in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. And this is where Pastor Fred started, started us off last week. And so it says uh, in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And so this series, Hot Sign Your Soul, has really all been about discipleship. 
Uh, Jesus opens up in this passage, inviting his disciples to follow him. Hey, take up your cross and follow me. But there's two really important uh, key words that that are in this passage that uh, Pastor Fred highlighted last week. And those words are highlighted up there, soul and deeds. And so in the midst of talking to his disciples about, hey, follow me, be a a, a disciple, a, a true follower of Christ, he brings up, these two words. The word soul is, uh, in the Greek, if you look in the original language, it, it means uh, soul. It can also mean heart. It's really talking about that inner man, right? The, the, the core of who you are, the hidden person of the heart. And when he says deeds, he's talking about this Greek word praxis, which doesn't just mean like the things you do, right? Not just your actions, uh, but, but the actions that characterize who you are. And so, When Jesus is talking to his followers or potential followers about what it means to be a disciple, he's he's, uh, talking about their their soul, the inner man that's in them. And he's also talking about, brings up this day of judgment that we all will have, right? Even those of us entering into heaven will all face Jesus and uh, who will uh, uh, be able to look at our rap sheet and tell us about our deeds, right? Uh, And not just, thank goodness, when it says deeds, it's talking about, the deeds, the works that characterize us, not just how we lived on our best day or how we lived, thank goodness, on our worst day, right? He he judges us based on our praxis, our deeds, the actions that characterize you. And so uh, when we talk about hot sign your soul, when when Pastor Fred talked about it last week, he he used this imagery of a hot sign, right, at Krispy Kreme. And he said, when you see that hot sign on, you know that the donuts are ready, right? So, so when we talk about, or when he talked about hot sign your soul last week, he was saying what that means in part in, as it relates to discipleship is when we are following after Jesus, right, as disciples, we're readying ourselves for this day of judgment, right? We're readying ourselves for that moment when we step into eternity. Uh, but tonight, I want to bring another meaning, another um, way to look at this uh, imagery of, of hot sign your soul, uh, Pastor Fred talked about how discipleship and being a disciple, that readies you for the next life. Tonight, we're going to talk about how being a disciple, how it, how it uh, uh, affects you in this life. Why be a disciple in this life? We'll, we'll talk about that tonight. And so before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father God. Thank you for Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> thank you, uh, just as that video said, for our freedom, Lord. Thank you that, that we do get to worship here tonight. And so I pray that, that as we have these uh, political freedoms in this country, Lord, that, that we accept, as uh, someone shared tonight, the freedoms that, that you're willing to give us in your spirit, Lord. I pray for a softening right now, that, that we would let down our guard and let you speak directly to that hidden man, that, that inner person of the heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, Krispy Kreme donuts. Who's ever been to uh, a Krispy Kreme when the hot sign is on? Yeah. Oh, man. That, that thing will change your life. I don't know about you, but the hot sign at Krispy Kreme has changed my life. Is there anyone in this room who has never experienced the hot sign at Krispy Kreme? 
like one person, a couple of people. I just want to cry for you. I'm so, oh my gosh, way too many. More hands are coming up. Okay, I I feel so sorry for you because it it literally, it changes your life, right? Um, And and so, you know, okay, that might be a little dramatic. Y'all are like, man, this guy loves food, talking about BJ's, talking about the hot sign at Krispy Kreme. But that may be slightly dramatic, but it has for me at least changed my life in one very specific way. If I get a hankering for Krispy Kreme donuts, I'm not going to go to Food Lion and get, like, one of those store-bought, like, boxes of Krispy Kreme. I'm ruined. So just be forewarned if you ever go get a Krispy Kreme donut from the store and the hot sign is on. It will ruin you because I'm not satisfied. If I'm sitting in my living room, right, on a Sunday morning, because we don't have church, praise Jesus, and, and, and I'm... I'm I get a hankering for a Krispy Kreme donut. I could just like drive down to the food line that's on the corner, uh, but I don't. I will drive the eight miles or however long it takes to get to the Krispy Kreme on Mercury and Hampton, right? So that I can get that fresh, hot Krispy Kreme donut. As far as I'm concerned, right, a, a, a Krispy Kreme, a real, true, authentic Krispy Kreme donut is a donut that is hot. A donut that comes directly from the source, which is that bakery or that, that storefront, that Krispy Kreme outlet. And, uh, and so that, that same principle applies to our life. This idea of, of being hot, and that represents authenticity to us and points us to the source. The same thing could be said about our Christianity, our walk with Christ. Uh, if you've got a hot sign on your soul, that, that means that you've, you've got an authentic relationship with Jesus. It, it speaks to your authenticity and it points people not to the grocery store, right? Not to these like secondhand uh, uh, religious, uh, you know, morals that you can live by, but it, it points you directly to the source. Hot Christianity is the most authentic Christianity. And if our faith is authentic, it serves as the hot sign that points people to the source who is Christ. So tonight we're going to talk about how to stay hot. What does that mean? How, how to put a hot sign on your soul, not just so that we can ready our lives or ready our souls, that inner person for the next life, but how we can ready our souls uh, uh, or, or how we can be more authentic, more effective in this life. So, you ready? A little bit, a little more of, of a bit of review. So, for us, what that means, how to be hot, how to have the hot sign on your soul, uh, uh, and how to be more authentic, it, it means, one more time, there we go. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. There it goes. All right. Uh, it, it means discipleship. And this is the discipleship model Pastor Fred had talked about a little bit about last week, and I'm not going to go through all that he talked about, so you can definitely hit up our website, citylifeva.com, and listen to the podcast. You can, um, you can uh, look at, if, even if you go to the website, there's a tab that says Pathways. You can pull that up, and it kind of talks about these in great details. But generally speaking, I have a flow chart for all you people like my wife who are that, like, mathematically, logically minded, Right? The discipleship model, it starts with, there's only four numbers, right? The one, the six, the 12, and the 24. And so discipleship for us in our our church, what it means is the one invitation. Jesus invites us all to be disciples, to be followers of him. Uh, And if you are a follower follower of him, if you're a disciple, then he asks you, he expects you to follow his commands. There's six main commands that we've uh, pulled from scripture uh, that that he speaks about often. 
Um, and, and to obey these commands, you've got to follow these 12 pathways. You've got to live out, walk in these 12 pathways, as my wife was talking about. Again, you can look those up online. And when you do that, the end result is the 24 virtues. This is uh, uh, what, at the end of the day, where we want to be, right? Pastor Fred said last week that this uh, model, discipleship model for us, it's shorthand. It's a roadmap that directs us from <clears throat> Christ's invitation to the end goal, which is to look more like Christ. As Christians, our end goal, as disciples, our end goal is to look more like Christ. And so this is what I want to focus on tonight, these 24 virtues. It was, okay, there we go. So Pastor Fred, he expressed it, you know, beautifully last week. He said, if words uh, were colors and we were painting, these words listed up here, these would portray the face of Jesus. These 24 virtues, they describe who Jesus is. He's authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering. The list goes on. But these 24 things, this is what Jesus looks like. And so as Christians, our goal, as disciples of Christ, our goal in our discipleship is to, at the end of the day, uh, uh, look more like this, to have these virtues in our lives. But the issue too often with how we apply uh, this discipleship model or how some people approach discipleship in general is they get the point. They see, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to look like Christ, right? And they see these, even these 24 virtues uh, in, in, uh, when they look at and they study the life of Jesus. And so how it plays out, someone might uh, come to church on a Saturday night and hear someone preach about forgiveness. And if you're a, a Christian, you're a disciple, you're reminded of the forgiveness of Jesus. And you're like, oh, I'm supposed to look like Jesus, so I should be more forgiving. And so then that person leaves, and they try, right? They, they try to be more forgiving. The next day, they're in rush hour traffic, and the person cuts them off. And instead of waving one finger, they wave five, right? Like, okay, I'll forgive you today because Jesus, right? Because uh, uh, I'm trying to look like Jesus, and Jesus was forgiving. We just talked about that, right? And so... That's how it usually works. So someone talks about this or you're reminded of one of these characteristics of Jesus and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus has self-control. So I'm not going to go to Krispy Kreme today, right? Jesus has, has, is this and this. And so you try in your own might and in your own will to apply that virtue onto your life. But the issue is that when we go about the discipleship model from this direction, from, from the bottom up, looking at the 24 virtues and trying to apply them to our lives, it becomes a little superficial. It, it doesn't last, right? A, a week, a month later, you are using only one finger, right? When that person cuts you off, it fades and you've lost your will uh, to, to be like Christ and you're just back to your old self, Right? So I, uh, I started using this app this week called Snapchat. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, and um, so, like, I'm not uh, uh, very tech savvy, but I am the youth pastor. And so, like, I've got to, like, get up on these things. And, and so, like, I'm trying to get into Facebook uh, or not Facebook. See, look. There it goes. I already blew it. I'm trying to get into Snapchat because Snapchat is supposed to be all the rage these days, right? I tried. I made an account. It scared me. I was confused. Uh, so parents, if you're out there and you tried, feel better about yourself. I was very confused. So, um, but, but anyway, so I, I've been trying. I met up with some people, met up with Catherine and with Manny, who's not here tonight. But, but to, to, they literally taught me how to use uh, Snapchat. And so 
to me, like Snapchat, it's a little bit too much. I'm, I don't think I'm going to use it for all that it's good for. But they do have filters on there that are pretty cool. So if you've got, who in here has Instagram? If you've got Instagram, right, there are filters that change the color or the, the I don't know, the... Um, What's that? Opacity or or, or the whatever. They have filters, right, that kind of basically change the way that the picture looks. On Snapchat, they have interactive filters that are like weird. Like how did that just happen? So one of them, I already kind of gave it away a little bit. But one of these filters is called face swap. So if you've never seen this before, how it works is you get two people on the picture frame, right? You take a selfie. There's one person on this side, one person on this side, and you literally, it literally swaps your face for you crazy. It's awesome. And so, so that's one example. You've got the dad, see the babies. Now you're like, oh, that makes sense. That's why the baby has a mustache, right? The, the dad's face has been swapped with the babies in this picture. And so people will post ridiculous stuff like that. People have gotten creative with uh, face swap and have done things like this. So it if it thinks that, that something is a face, it will, like, it'll still work, right? So people have gotten creative. This is one of my favorite ones. They, they with the Starbucks logo, right, and they swap their face out with um, the, the, the logo. That's pretty cool. Uh, if you want to see what it looks like when someone you know uses face swap, yeah. So that's when me and my wife swap faces, and I'm so thankful uh, that that's not what, she really looks like. Um, I'm also very grateful that Selah is like, our daughter is neither one of these combinations of us. That would be so scary. Um, but anyway, that's face swap, right? That's how it works. You get two people in the frame, you, you switch faces, and it's ridiculous, and it's hilarious. But no one uses face swap for authenticity, right? No one uses this app. I I would never post this and expect you to actually believe that that is my face, right? My, my, uh, and my wife in the background, right? I I would never expect anyone, even if you've never met me or my wife, I, I would never expect anyone to believe that this is true, to believe that this is authentic. And yet, this is what we do all the time with the face of Jesus, right? With these 24 virtues that we just looked at on the screen, we say, wow, I want to be forgiving. I, I want to be, I want to have self-control. I want to be all of these things, have all of these virtues. And so we come at it like, okay, let me take this, the, these characteristics of Jesus and let, let me just slap it on my face, right? And that's how we pursue discipleship. That's how many of us have pursued discipleship before. But the problem is it's not authentic, right? People can tell where Jesus ends and where you begin, right? There's going to not be a seamless transition in that point. And so if you're here tonight and you've struggled with, man, I want to be a disciple. I want to look more like Jesus. And you've gone about it this way. I want to be uh, this virtue. I want to be that virtue. And you failed uh, uh, and ended up looking ridiculous, right? Then, then you're in good company because it's not supposed to be that way. If you try to paste the characteristics of Christ on the outside without developing the character of Christ on the inside, then you end up with an inauthentic and ineffective version of Christianity. These fruits are meant to be, or these virtues are meant to be the fruit of our deeds. They're they're not meant to be the things that we start with. This is what happens. Those, well, not that, (laughs) hopefully. Um, uh, 
the virtues are what happen when we do discipleship, when we walk in the pathways, when, we, when we're doing the deeds of Jesus, following closely after Jesus, doing what Jesus has done. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it's why Paul says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. When we become Christians, when we become disciples, it isn't instant. We don't have all of these virtues, you know, just imbued upon us in one moment. Like we are on a journey of becoming and it takes some time. And so that's why Paul says, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus and nor will I ever be, but I press on. That is discipleship. That's what discipleship should look like. So that's why I've titled my uh, message for, for tonight, The Way of discipleship. Um, and next week we'll save, have the same title. I've always, before I became a preacher, it always annoyed me when, when pastors would give the title of the sermon in the middle, because like you've already budgeted your space on your notebook, right? So I'm sorry if I angered you, but if you come back next week, you already have the title for next week. So there you go. Just put it there for ahead of time. But, um, so the way of discipleship, the way that we do discipleship, our, our discipleship shouldn't be this superficial uh, collecting of virtues. It should look like a journey of becoming. God changing that inward person, that soul uh, in us, and we look, helping us to look more and more like him. So in the early days of of uh, Christianity uh, a couple thousand years ago when, when uh, the faith was just starting, right? There were a few words, a few phrases, a few terms for uh, a disciple, for a follower of Christ. And one of these words we know very well is Christian, right? Most of us in this room, if you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, exactly when that happened. It, it, we, they were first called Christians in Antioch. It was this uh, multicultural, diverse, multi-religious city. And so they had a need. People in that city had a need to separate the people, the Jewish people, and the people who believed in the Old Testament, right, and, and believed in that stuff, but but. Uh, uh, were different somehow. And so they applied this label Christian to them. And so Christian, it means accurately, right, Christ follower. Um, Some people say it it means like little Christ or like Christ. And so it, it accurately describes who we are as people. But the problem is we've taken this word that was very effective um, in the early days of Christianity and, and have, it's now become something completely different. Originally, the word Christian was used to define the disciples of Christ, but now it's used to describe a set of characteristics that are not always attached to Christ himself and may not even reflect his character. Um, Rob Bell, who is a writer and a pastor and has said some uh, pretty controversial things that I don't agree with, especially as of late, uh, uh, but he does have a, a really great quote that um, from a few years ago that that I've held on to since I I read this in his book, Velvet Elvis. And he says, Christian is a great noun, but a poor adjective. Christian, it's a great noun, but a poor adjective. What, What do I mean by that? What does he mean by that? He was saying, take for example, Christian music. Right? If you were to jump in your car right now, turn your station to K-Love, you would be listening to Christian music, right? And some of that music will be good, 
And some of that music will not, right? Not all of the music, uh, uh, Christian music is good. Let's be honest. Not all of Christian music is creative. Not all of Christian music, <clears throat> excuse me, is innovative. And yet that's the character of Christ. John 1.1 says Christ was there at the beginning, right? Creating with the Father. So he is, the character of who Christ is, is creative. So we, we've taken this word Christian it's a noun originally, and now it's become this thing, this adjective that we slap, slap on other things. Christian music, Christian political views, which sometimes might reflect the, the character of Christ, sometimes not. Christian manners even. Has this ever happened to you if you're hanging out with a friend uh, who maybe isn't a Christian or someone who isn't a Christian but knows that you are and you do something that they don't like, that they don't approve of, and they, they might say, well, that's not very Christian, Right? It's not very Christian. They, they use that as an adjective because what they're saying is, in their mind, they associate Christian not with Christ but with politeness, right, with manners. You're supposed to be nice to me. That's not, what they mean is that was not very nice. They don't know that Christ also flipped tables sometimes, right? So, so, so you know, there, there you go. There's your out. If anyone ever says that and you're like, well, okay, if you're stuck, just say Christ flips tables, right? Don't tell them that I said that, uh, or Pastor Fred when he gets back. But, um, but and, and even when we use Christian as a noun, you know, if someone were to ask you what your religious beliefs are, you might say, I am a Christian. But in our cultural context, often what we mean, it, 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 we're still using it as an adjective. We're using Christian to define our religious beliefs. You, you might say that you're a Christian, I am a Christian, but, but what you're really saying is my religious beliefs, I believe in the things that Christianity says and the things that Christianity teaches. And in our culture, it's fully acceptable to have these religious beliefs, but be a totally different person, right? To say you're a Christian, which describes what you believe, but doesn't describe who you are, how you act, how you live. But an authentic Christian cannot separate their beliefs from their action, their conviction from their character. So our Christianity, it's not an a adjective that we just slap on, right? Like face swap to, to try to describe to people uh, who we are. Christi- Christian or, or our uh, faith in Christ, it affects everything. It affects the way that we live our lives. And so there was another phrase that I'm fond of that was used in uh, the uh, early church to describe Christians, and it was called, they would say, followers of the way. I love that. Followers of the way. In Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn there. I have part of it up there, but not all. So in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, many of us know this as the story of Paul's conversion. And it starts off with Paul not being Paul, but Paul being Saul. And it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's disciples or followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So many of us, we, we know, if you are familiar with that story, that that voice belongs to Jesus. And so Paul has this uh, uh, moment of clarity. He has this encounter with Christ that forever changes him. But before that moment, when he was just a, a, a Pharisee, when he was a religious Jewish uh, person who, who uh, uh, you know, was uh, high up in, in his religiosity, let's say, right, he was vehemently against these followers of the way. To him, when he thought about a Christ follower, he didn't just think about people who said they believe certain things, right? He didn't just think about people who had different beliefs than what he believed. There were many sects of Judaism. Uh, you know, Paul was a Pharisee, but there were Sadducees and other sects. He, he wasn't going after them. Paul was so uh, infuriated and so um, uh, angered by Christianity. It says that, that he was breathing threats as he went because these were people who weren't just saying they believed something, but they were living lives that were dramatically different than, than what he was used to. They were living lives that caused him to question everything that he thought to be true. They were living lives that, as we find out, were convicted him, right? And so my question to you is, as a follower of the way, are your deeds, not just your beliefs, but are they dramatically affecting the world around you? That's how you know you're authentic, right? If if your discipleship is authentic because you're a follower of the way. You're angering, maybe not angering people, hopefully, but you're challenging people, right, in what they believe because of the way that you live your life. So if we fast forward uh, a little bit in uh, Paul's story, he is now a follower of the way, and he's now a follower of Christ, and he's on his journey of becoming, right? We read, if you read and Acts his story, and you can see all his missteps and mistakes in there. And so he's still becoming, he's still growing into the person, into those virtues that, um, that is our end goal. But in Acts chapter 24, we find him, Acts chapter 24, uh, verse 13, we find him before uh, the governor Felix, so just as, as Paul was famous to uh, the Christians for persecuting Christians for being so passionately against them, he had now become famous with these Jewish religious people because of, of his passion for Christ, because he was living so dramatically different. And so what they did, these Jewish leaders, they brought him to this Roman governor uh, who was reigning over uh, the province of Judea where he was, and um, and so they bring him to him and they, they say, or this is his defense. So imagine like law and order, right? Uh, he's, this is Paul standing in the courtroom, speaking to Felix and the governor and defending himself. In verse 24, he says, um, oh, sorry, excuse me. Verse 13, he says, these men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. See, the, these religious men, they knew that Paul uh, or they knew that Felix was, he was known for crucifying people who rebelled against Rome, who were uh, leading people in uprisings and, 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 and mobs and things like that. And so they presented Paul like that. But Paul's like, no, that's not who I am. Uh, uh, you can't accuse me of these things. But, verse 14, I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. 
what he's saying to Felix is, all of these things, you, you can't accuse me of these, most of the things that these people have brought against me. I'm not a rebel rouser, right? I'm not trying to, to take down Rome or anything like that. But one thing I will admit, and one thing, if you want to prosecute me for something, you can come at me for this. I am a follower of the way. And so it says, after his speech, right, Felix, the governor, decides not to crucify him as he was known to do. But instead, he kind of puts him off aside in jail for a little while. And if we pick the story back up in verse 24, it says, A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. I love this. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Even as a prisoner, Paul had an influence with this uh, ruthless Roman governor that that caused him to, to spend time with him to ask him questions about what he believed. And it gave Paul this opportunity to say, hey, I believe in Christ Jesus. And not only do I believe in Christ Jesus, but, but it's caused me to be righteous, right? It, it's caused me to have self-control, which, by the way, were two things that Paul knew uh, Felix had issues with. If you look in uh, other uh, historical writings, it's said of him, of Felix, that he's a master of cruelty and lust, who exercised the powers of a king with the, with the spirit of a slave. Felix was known for being unrighteous. He was known for, for uh, 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 lust and for not having any self-control. And at the same moment, I believe that's why it says in that verse that he was frightened. The real word, the real thing that he was experiencing was conviction, right? Paul, in his example, in his faith, he was convicting Felix, not just externally, oh, believe something different, but his inner man, the core of who he was. Felix felt threatened, just as Paul felt threatened, threatened on that road to Damascus that day. This is a picture of what our faith and all of its authenticity should do to people. It should point them to Christ and convict, not condemn them of their needs or their need for him. Let me read that again. So this is a picture of what our faith and all of its authenticity should do to people. It should point them to Christ and convict, not condemn them, of their need for him. When our faith is authentic as Paul's was authentic, it's also effective. It's a hot sign that points people to Jesus. I don't know about you, but when the hot sign comes on at Krispy Kreme, it's like almost a car accident, right? Like I'm swerving to get over as soon as I can. If we can live lives that, that are just store-bought Christianity that people are comfortable with, familiar with, kind of close to what the original intention was, or we can live lives with a hot sign on our soul that, that point people not just to how good we are, not just to how cool our church is, not just to what we believe, but to Jesus only our actions, only our deeds, only, only a way of life that's completely flipped around can do that to people. I want to go ahead and invite the band up as we close.
if you, if you look up this word way in the Greek for this word or this term followers of the way, the word way literally means way. It means road, it means path, it means journey. And I love that. Because way could mean like the manner of how you do things. This is the way I tie my shoes, right? This is the way I eat ice cream, right? But, but it doesn't. The, the, way, the, the word way in, in that phrase literally means a road, a path, a journey. It, it evokes this image and it speaks to movement, to transportation, to going from one point to another. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple. It means, like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, that you're pressing on and you're changing. You're going from one point to another. That is what follower of the way means. I love that way. It also means path. And as Hannah uh, mentioned earlier today, the the pathways are the step just ahead of these virtues. You won't look like Christ. You won't have these virtues at work in your life if you are, unless you are, walking down these pathways, reading your Bible, praying, worshiping, gathering for church services. And I hope you do do your homework because we're not gonna list them all tonight, but I hope you do go online find those pathways, listen to pastors, Pastor Fred's uh, sermon from last week, speak to one of us, uh, the leaders here at the church, and we can talk to you about what these pathways are and where they are in scripture. But, but you won't get to these virtues unless you do the homework. You won't look like Christ. You won't get to the end point, the end goal, unless you do the work, unless you walk down these pathways, walk in these pathways. And so tonight, if you're going to call yourself a follower of the way, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to call yourself and attempt to be a disciple of Christ, you have to ask yourself, you you have to ask yourself, the title itself, disciple, begs you to ask the question, am I moving? Am I growing? Am I going from one point to another? Because if not, then my faith isn't authentic. And if my faith isn't authentic, then it's not going to be effective. It won't change anybody around me. If I'm not transforming from this person right here who I met, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, to this other person right here who's changing the world around him. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to go back into worship, but let me pray uh, before we do. Father God calls us to not just be Christians, Father God, calls us to be disciples of the way. Lord God, to live our lives differently. God, to to, uh, apply what your word says to our everyday deeds. Father, I pray that as we uh, go into worship right now, Lord, that even as you did to that governor Felix, that even as you did to Paul uh, on on his way to Damascus, Father God, that you would convict their hearts. God, convict our hearts. Convict me. Show me where I need to grow. Show me where I need to change and help me not to just feel conviction about it, but show me how to do it. God, put me on the path that I need to be in order to grow closer to you 
not just uh, 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 in my beliefs, but closer to you and my character and who I actually am. God, we worship you tonight in Jesus' name.